Welcome to the Fear Naught podcast, where we interview those who have pushed themselves to the limit and beyond, sharing their highs, their lows, and everything in between. I'm James Banks, a former captain in the Royal Artillery, and today I'm speaking to Jordan Wiley, a former soldier, extreme adventurer, television personality, and best-selling author. Is that a fair description of your your day-to-day jordan does that sound about right <laughs> yeah i guess so yeah it's uh it, it's quite varied uh, that that's for sure um but no yeah yeah it is what it is <laughs> i mean my first question on that has got to be well where do you find the time to fit it all in you know it's uh i don't think i've ever mastered the art of, of time management and probably why i was a, a lowly junior nco in the army <laughs> uh, and not any higher um but you know i i just try to do things that i enjoy and 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 somehow make a living out of doing that as well you know i don't i don't earn a lot of money um but but i i absolutely do things that i enjoy most days i i feel good well that's great to hear um Let's take it back. You mentioned there your your military career. Let's take it right back to 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 kind of how you got to be who you are today. Um, what were you like as a before you joined the army? What were you like as a child? Were you a motivated child? Were were you always destined to be the the Jordan uh, that I'm speaking to today? Uh, no, absolutely not. I think um, you know to be to be completely honest. Uh, you know, I I didn't really know where I was going from from an early age. You know, for me, like a lot of young boys in the, I guess in the nineties, I wanted to be a footballer. You know, that was always the dream. I if I was kicking a ball around a field, which which, which probably consumed ninety percent of my life. You know, I was whether I was as watching it or playing it or, or supporting whatever it might be. Football was. It, it was like a religion to me, you know, I think it, it, it was, I lived and breathed it and I'd do anything to, to get outside and, and, and kick a ball on the grass. And I, I always thought that I was going to be a professional footballer. Um, I was very fortunate, I guess, to have some incredible opportunities to play at, at professional clubs um, in their youth system. You know, I, I was on the books of Preston North End Blackpool, um, was at Man City Wimbledon for very short stints. Um, so, I always thought that that was where I was going, and then I guess I I got to the sort of critical teenage years of about fifteen, sixteen, and and things started um, going to the wayside a bit. I, you know, like 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 a lot of young people still today, you you start discovering other things in life. You you going through puberty, you've got school, you've got exams, girls, and 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 you're on this your own little adventure, I guess, at, at that period of your life, and it's very easy to. Be distracted. I think. I think it's a, it's been a challenge for for centuries, and it'll be a challenge for centuries to come at that age. And and yeah, I was I guess lured in by temptation of of nights out on the park with my friends, um, getting up to no good. And 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 that was I guess really the the downfall in my my footballing career as it was. Although you know I'm very proud to have gone on and played football for my regiment corps army under 21s and, and and so on and and still played to a, a, a semi-decent level for most of my my life although retired quite a bit ago now um but yeah football football for me but when I got to 14 15 16 I was yeah I was mixing with the wrong crowds I guess and um found myself in trouble with the police from time to time you know I I spent I think it was my 15th birthday in a in a in a cell in Blackpool for 
uh, breach of the peace, drunken disorderly, I, you know, things that I'm not proud of at all. But but when I look back, they were great life lessons, actually. You know, I, I think at the time it was the end of the world. I remember, you know, I was I was always quite a bit of a jack the lad as a 15 year old down the park with my mates and then being put in a in a police cell for the night and being left there overnight. I I I sort of, you know, I can remember crying my eyes out into my little itchy and scratchy blanket that they give me. And I'd gone from from being a bit of a cocky, arrogant teenager to actually thinking I don't ever want to be in one of these places ever again. You know, this has got to change. And it, although I didn't probably realize it right at the time, when I look back, that was a critical turning point, spending a night, you know, a few uh, 24 hours in a police cell for me. And so how did you go from being in that police cell to deciding that joining the army was the, the way ahead? Yeah, you know, I think really interesting to talk about that kind of the, the formative moments and, and looking at how your life pivots on on decisions you made. But what made you then decide that the, the army was the best way for you to go? And what was your, what was your motivation at that point? Well, again, being um, completely transparent and honest, I, I you know, I, I left school with with no qualifications at all. You know, I I I, I failed pretty much all my GCSEs. Um, so, and again, that's not something I'm proud of at all because actually I'm uh, I like to think I'm a bit of a champion of education today. you know I, I promote the importance of education to schools and and I've, I've done the full circle I, I should add as well because before we talk about the army you know I left the army with uh, all my GCSEs A-levels foundation bachelor's master's degree I went through the full cycle in the army uh, which which was incredible but the, I, I, really you know I, I didn't have this big burning desire to be a soldier it was probably more so than anything um through lack of opportunity in my hometown of Blackpool you know I I had no GCSEs all my friends were going to college um those that were were dedicated and committed went on to be footballers um and and found a way out of the town I guess and for me my father was a Royal Marine commando he served a career in the Marines he was a Falklands veteran and he certainly never pushed me towards the military but he was always 100% behind whatever I wanted to do in life and he probably introduced me to the idea maybe but but it, it was certainly yeah it wasn't forced upon me in any way and I remember going into the recruiting office and doing the the psychometric test the barb test as it was at the time and and I had all these these dreams of of you know working in in the intelligence corps and then it was the engineers or, or but actually when you when you haven't got any qualifications or results there's only two places you go in one's the infantry and the other's the royal armored corps which are obviously the the fighting arms of of, of the british army or the british military and um and and that was all i was eligible for was was to go in, in into a combat role so i i found myself um joining the King's Royal Hussars, uh, which are a, a cavalry regiment, a tank, a Challenger 2 main battle tank regiment at the time. Um, and I think that was really, again, not because of any uh, family affiliations. I think it was, you know, when I went in the recruiting office that the people in there had pink trousers on and convinced me that that was, it was a good idea. Um, but, you know, it, it was a great decision. I had some of the best times of my life with the King's Royal Hussars. I'm, I'm a very proud uh, cavalry soldier. Um, you know, I think, we're brilliant at what we do of course I'm very biased and, I, and I, for me I'm no regrets about joining the KRH an incredible regiment um, with incredible people uh, you know and I think for me joining the army I, I was probably still quite naive about the world I think I was probably still a bit of a, a naughty teenager when I first you know arrived at basic training and that's 
quite quickly sort of um, extracted out of you, as, as we know, as, as a young sort of soldier at 16 to 18. And but but I think really, you know, when I look back at my army career, because I've been out over a decade now. In fact, I've, I've been out 12 years, which is longer than I served. And I think for me, if I think about what did I learn from my my military career, of I think it would be the values, I think, because that's what I was lacking at an early age. Um, I think that sense of purpose and pride, you know, the, the, the values of, of things like courage, respect for others, integrity, loyalty, discipline, selfless commitment. Um, I think they're things that you, you, you never let go of. I think that I often say to young people that, that they're probably the greatest decision making tool that you have because they're whether you're a serving soldier, a veteran, a, a cadet or, you know, an officer, whatever it is, I think those values really differentiate us as a family from the rest of society and I think they're recognized that you know in, in everything we hopefully we, we do and, and and I'm not saying that, that that we're perfect I'm certainly far from perfect I've made lots of mistakes I've done things that I'm I'm not proud of at all I, I, I but I I think that values give you that moral compass to, to check yourself and bring you back on track when you do go you know off, off the wayside and uh, they allow you to reflect and 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 let you go back to sort of square one and think what's right and what's wrong and what should I be doing. Look, I mean, obviously the, the the military was a was a big part of your of your life. Maybe not in years, but in the in the influence it had upon you. And you know, it sounds like it sort of almost gave you the focus to get you back on the straight and narrow and give you a sense of purpose. I think you know you touched on that then. So you so you left the army in what 2010. You then went on to work in maritime security. Um, now we could. I, I know you've written a book about your time doing that, so we could spend an entire podcast talking about that. But I'll, we'll try not to. Um, what did you take for the military? Uh, you know, and what did you build on in your time in maritime security? Um, from chatting to you the other day, you know, the one word that came up a lot again and again was around resilience. You know, is becoming a more resilient Jordan? Is that something that's been a, a progression through the military into maritime security and beyond? You know what were those? What was that time in maritime security? What did that give you? I, you know, I, re- I really enjoyed my time in in maritime security. Um, you know, I did my studies in the army in in the field of of, of security and risk management, and um, I, I did a master's in maritime security, and and I just found it such a fascinating industry. You know, these these incredible seafarers that that, that for me, uh, I've been spent five years working with them. That they're, they're like they're just unsung heroes of, of, of the world really, because everything that we do, everything we use, everything in our lives comes across the ocean at some point. It, it, 90, 95% of world trade is still done on the ocean. You know, whether it's the cars, the electronics, the food, the drink, it still makes its way across the ocean on a rusty old boat. You know, it, it, it's incredible in this digital era that we're in, but, uh, and we sort of just take that for granted until things like what's happening right now with energy crisis until we you know until a few months ago or last year when the Suez Canal was blocked people don't realize how critical the maritime economy is to our to our lives you know uh, and these incredible selfless people seafarers they they they, they literally and it, it's not a cliche they make the world go round uh, and and you know a lot of them they get they, they don't get rewarded very well for it either they spend you know nine ten months away from home at a time on you know not great salaries and i i, I just met the most humble most incredible people working at sea and 
you know, one of the, I guess, the perks of working uh, in the Indian Ocean was it's surrounded by very glamorous islands like the Seychelles, Mauritius. You know, you've got Dubai, uh, you, you know, uh, the Maldives. And so so we, we would spend a lot of time as ex-military people uh, living in hotels and, you know, waiting for the next ship to come along. So uh, it, it was I don't think the people on the honeymoons ever appreciated us um, while we we're waiting for ships. But we, we had some good times. We traveled the world and met some amazing people. People. Of course, you know, like like the military, you have a few uh, adrenaline moments, a few skirmishes uh, with with the so-called bad guys. But you know, the, the military was a lot more dangerous place in my experience than you know being on operations in a place like Iraq or or somewhere like Afghanistan would be a lot more dangerous, and you would get paid a lot less as well. <laughs> um, so it, it, it was great for me. It allowed me to set myself up for, you know, in terms of financially and 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 be able to invest in myself in more qualifications and and, and things. But uh, no no regrets about working in maritime security. It, it was a brilliant experience. And and again, led on through writing about those and talking about those experiences, led on some to other you know bigger and better things, so to speak. And what, what did you learn about yourself? I mean, yes, I'm. I- it's great to hear that there's a bit of a glamorous side to to working in maritime and as you say the the times waiting in hotels but working in security on a on board a ship you know you're on your own surely there's you must have learned a lot about yourself and again that word absolutely. resilience no absolutely um and and i think that's something that that i you know i always think you know as a soldier working on operations you always think that You've, you, you know, I think we think that we've we've been there, we've seen it all. You know, we, we've 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 spent six months in pretty arduous conditions. Most of us, are, you know, or a lot longer. And you know, we've had out of ration packs and and we've not had a shower for weeks on end or whatever it might be. But actually, what I found working in the middle of of the ocean there is no more remote place in the world. You know, there is no golden hour where a helicopter is just going to uh, arrive and, and somebody's going to come and support you with a bit of artillery or a tank or whatever. If something goes wrong, you could be a week away from the nearest help, you know? So I, 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 it, it was really interesting to, 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 to grow and develop in that environment and also see things like teamwork and leadership from a different perspective because I'd, I'd only ever known the military and, and the military way of, of, of thinking, if you like, and, and operating, but there are you know the maritime industry in its own right is an incredible place and and the people who you know captain master these ships and the crews that that are on them i learned so much from them about teamwork about living in confined spaces small environments and because essentially you're living in their home that's where they live you know it's it's not uh, they they spend three quarters of their life on these things so to, to, to see them operate in, in, in such, again, arduous conditions was amazing and, 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 and taught me a lot about the world, you know, of um, different languages, different foods, different cultures. I, I've always believed in life that travel and embracing different cultures is, is possibly the best education. You know, I, I think going to different countries, meeting different people, speaking a different language, I, I think, you know, that's, that's, that's like gold, isn't it? You, you, you just... For me, I, I think I've gone through this cycle of, of, of as a when I first left the army, sort of thinking you're looking for the better job, the better pay, the nicer car, the bigger house. But actually, you you when you go through the full cycle, you realise that it's not possessions that you want to chase. It's 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 passion and people and experiences, you know, because that fulfills you internally. It's it's not an external thing. It's 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 something that is quite hard to describe. That uh, I think it's the difference between perceived success and fulfillment. I think 
I think for me, they're probably at opposite ends of the spectrum. You know, I think success is often related to accolades, to, to money, to jobs, to status, to profile. Whereas fulfillment for me is how do you actually feel inside, regardless of what's going on outside? How do you feel about yourself inside? And I think that's really important to me today. But I've had to go through this roller coaster journey to get to get to, to, to that, I think, and understand that. Was there a, a light bulb moment for you when you, you kind of realised that you weren't just chasing, you didn't just want to chase money and that wasn't a mark of success? Because I think a lot of people, when they do leave the military, the first thing is that they've got to get that really well-paid job. And you hear everyone saying, oh, I've got this amazing job and, you know, six figures or whatever, and you take it all with a pinch of salt. But was there a moment when you went, actually, it's not, it's not money that's going to make me happy? Yeah, definitely. And actually, to be honest, it, it came out of a great tragedy. Uh, for me, it was it was um, the breakdown of my relationship with the mother of my daughter. Um, you know, I, I, I think I'm a loyal, honest, you know, person. But, I, you know, I, I didn't I never purposely tried to, to hurt her. Or, you know, I never cheated on her or anything like that. But actually, I was very selfish with my time because I was always chasing. You know, I, I, I would spend months away. You know, having left the army and promising to be around a lot more, I was probably spending more time away from home um, working in the security environment than, than I ever did when I was in the army. Um, and, and and you get drawn in by, you know, the the, the shiny watches or, or the business class flights or, or whatever it might be. And it's it's quite a fickle real, uh, quite a fickle will, really, you know, I, I, you know, and, and, and it comes uh, when you when you are in a position of you know, privileging, you know, where you are turning left on the plane or you, you know, you're driving a, a fancy car that there's a lot of stress that comes with that because you've had to do something to get that. And and for me, I, I you have to make sacrifices and, and you have to prioritize what you want in life. And although, yeah, you know, I was eating in fancy Mayfair, Mayfair restaurants and, and, and have an apartment in Dubai and it was all very glamorous on the outside. It, it, it wasn't glamorous on the inside. It came with stresses and strains on, on all aspects of my life. Um, and I, I found myself trying to almost uh, validate myself to the world, you know, to, 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 to say, look at, almost like, look at me, I'm doing great. It was almost, yeah, I, bec I become, I become quite a selfish person. I, I believe, you know, I become, um, especially with my family, you know, I, for me, I came home to an, an empty house one day after being warned for probably two years that, you know, we're not going to continue living where you just gallivant around the world, you know, and then, Things like social media, you know, I, I, we don't help ourselves. You know, your missus at home looking after Litlan and I'm posting that I'm, you know, in Dubai, you know, on a, a restaurant or whatever. And yeah, very, very silly, very naive, very selfish of me in that period of my life, I feel. And, you know, I've, I, I live with um, a lot of regret about that that period. I, I don't, I think it, for me, it affected my mental health for many years. You know, I very honestly, I still take medication six seven years later now for, for for that which for me traces mostly back to that period of my life where i got it very wrong um so yeah it's it's tough but as you said at the start life is about choices and decisions and and what i've come to learn is which took me a long time to process is you you can never change what's happened you can't do anything about something that has happened previously uh, the, but what you can do is you, you can take the lesson and apply it to what's coming to the future. And if you dwell on things that have gone wrong um, and, and, you, and, and you can let them consume you, 
it, it becomes very depressing. You know, it, 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 you, you will get depressed. You, you will have very negative thoughts about yourself and your life. And you somehow need to, to take what's gone wrong in your life and you need to, 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 you know, turn over a sort of, you know, turn in a different direction and, and, and apply whatever, whatever the key lessons are. And some of them will be very harsh lessons that, that will break you, you know, that you won't want to acknowledge that, 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 that you know, I, I, I've cried into my pillar many a time, you know, thinking, how oh, have I got it so wrong? And, but you have to own your mistakes. You, you can't run away from things that you've got wrong. And, and, and we're not perfect. Nobody's perfect. And we will make mistakes, you know, uh, and, and we will get things horribly wrong sometimes. And what I've learned is you can't run away from that. You have to acknowledge it and you have to own it and you have to try and apply those lessons to the future. But also when, when we think about the future, I think we, we have to not think too far ahead because I think that can also be detrimental to our mental health as well. I think when we worry too much about what's coming, we, we get anxious and that causes anxiety. It certainly did for me, you know, because, because you've lost something, you're like, what does the future hold? What will I ever find that person? Or is that job going to come again or, or whatever it is? And I think anxiety is, is a real serious issue as well. And, and, and being completely honest, if you'd have told me about anxiety and depression 10 years ago, I would have, I would have laughed about it. I would have thought I, I, I genuinely didn't even think they were real things. I thought they were, it's what you had if you were lazy and you couldn't bother getting up for work or, you know, but to actually go through, I, I was, I can remember being in bed and having the paramedics called out just, you know, and I, I remember I, I, I sort of smile about it now, but I remember my, the mother of my daughter, she called an ambulance and I, I had these terrible pains in my stomach and I genuinely thought I was on my way out at the time. I thought something's not right in my body. And the, this ex-military combat medic who was a paramedic, she she sat with me for about an hour, uh, you know, in the ambulance. And she said, Jordan, she said, you've got a lot of shit going on in your life, haven't you? I said, yeah, yeah. And she went, that's just all acids and anxiety and and depression that's built up inside you. There's nothing wrong with you. You're not, you, you know, you, obviously there is in terms of your, your mental health, but you're not dying. You know, you're not, you're not having a heart attack or anything like that. She says, You've just got a lot of things to deal with. I've seen it many times, and and she was absolutely right when I when I look back. You know, I I my body was was just reacting to to everything else that was going on in my life, and yeah, yeah. I, I, as I say, I've been on medication for seven years. Uh, I tried to come off it quite a few times, but for whatever reason, my it sends me into doesn't send me doesn't send me. It, it makes me feel when I when I try to come off my medication, it makes me feel um, not 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 really negative, but like. Oh, I can't be bothered. I can't, you know, like really lethargic and I can't bother today. I'll just, I'll just stay in bed an extra hour. And that isn't really me. So, you know, I've come to accept that maybe I will stay on medication forever. And I don't, I don't really see that as a problem anymore because it, it helps me. It helps, you know, sort of fix the chemical imbalance in, in my system, whatever it is. And I, I take a very small dose every day now, but I think it's, it, it's really important to own your mistakes, to acknowledge and accept who you are. And, and, and even if you've got faults and we all have got faults and we all get things wrong, you know, you, you have to be uh, pre pre prepared to look yourself in the mirror and, and you might not like what you see at, at some point. When you first realised you had a mental health problem, that was around 2015, so that was after you'd finished doing the maritime security work. Is, is that right? Is that when that kind of kicked in? Yeah, it was, it was, it, it was to be honest, it was probably one of the reasons why I, I stopped doing it. Um, you know, I, it, it, was, it, was, it, it was in that final year, 2014 to sort of 15, where where I was, it was coming to the end of that relationship, if you like. And, and I was obviously clinging on to trying to fix it. So I stopped going to see, I'd also managed to, to start working in a more, 
managerial role within within maritime security you know sort of as op- operations director deploying people as opposed to deploying myself if you like and it was it was from there i started running and started spending a lot of time uh in local rivers wild swimming running up hillsides and just uh, i think the outdoors is you know as i've come to learn is the best medicine in the world i think being outside being embraced in nature um uh, whether it's in the water or on a hill um is is the most it's it, it just helps i don't know what it is the medicinal value of of the great outdoors but it's free and it helps you and i just can't get enough of it these days as well you know that's what i spend most of my days doing you know whether it's walking hiking swimming paddling i just want to be outside what words of advice would you would you give to people who are perhaps listening to this podcast and thinking oh, do you know what i think there's there's a bit of me here that he's talking about there's there's them you know start of a problem that i've got you know what are the things that you should do to try and minimize the impact or, or get your mental health in check uh you know perhaps and also looking back at your time 2014 what would be the the small steps that you would have taken to to try and stop things from from snowballing from escalating yeah i think i think you know firstly you you have to accept or or, or acknowledge that you have got a problem i think that's that's one of the the, the biggest challenges because you know it, it it will be you will be embarrassed you will be ashamed perhaps you'll have all these these feelings of negative emotions that that you don't want to come to the surface or you don't want the world to know about and until you accept that this is who you are, you know, you, you, you're not going to be able to fix or, or, or improve your situation. I think, you know, people often say talk to other people. And I think it's absolutely true. You know, you, you will feel better, you know, by 50% straight away just by sharing that problem with somebody. Um, and for me, you know, I, I felt quite embarrassed to share my problems with with close ones and loved ones. But so, you know, there are professional people out there. I work with lots of psychotherapists, counsellors, speak to them. You know, they're not going to judge you. They're not going to have an opinion on you. They, they they deal with this every day. And especially through military, you know, I, I haven't used any of the military charities as such, but there are lots of, of ones out there for people with, with, who served with, with mental health uh, concerns or challenges. But, you know, for, for me, things like mental health and suicide, they are a big issue in society, um, you know, in the veterans uh, military se- sector, but also with young people today. I think, uh, you know, I've been to several funerals of young people where mental health has been, you know, the reason poor mental health has been the reason why they've decided to take their own life. And I, I, I just don't think that anybody should be leaving this this planet you know well before their time as because there is help available but you've you've got to be prepared to accept it and want that help you know it's it's really important um how important you mentioned there working with with young people um and i can see from the you know the the notes that i've got in front of me that you're now doing a lot of work with with young people and you touched on their going to the funeral of, of, of some sadly some young people who who passed away how important is it for you to to inspire that next generation or to offer your advice you know offer the lessons that you've learned to that next generation for me i think it's it's my purpose in life i think um you know to try and help the next generation to try and inspire them to encourage them to support educate it's absolutely everything i think 
you know when you when you leave the military as you will know you you do lose a sense of a purpose you know you sort of try to figure out what is your role in this world you know you've took off your uniform your medals and it is it is tough for anyone leaving in that respect because you've been part of this you know exclusive club the best club in the world really and then you're stripped of that and you and you and you're you're back in, in in the normal real world and 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 you I find for me I was I've been constantly searching for 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 my purpose since I left the military you know 12 years ago but over the last 7 8 years working with young people uh, as a volunteer really um trying to help them and trying to share my life lessons is 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 everything it's 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 what I try to do with whether it's through my charity work through my patron roles with charities or an ambassador for the cadets you know i i i I honestly spend more time volunteering with young people these days than i do actually working which is is much (laughs) to the uh, disappointment of my partner (laughs) um so really you know impressive amount you know amount of work that you and time you're spending there inspiring others being a role model for for people but who's your role model who inspires you yeah, it's a great question. I think, you know, uh, growing up for me, uh, if I if I go back first, would, would be my dad. I think the values that he's upheld all his life and, and what he stands for as a person, you know, in terms of always doing the right thing and always be prepared to hold your hand up if you've got it wrong. Uh, I, I think my, my, my father, you know, as a, as a former Royal Marine, really inspirational person for me. But but to be honest, the, the, the heroes for me today in society, uh, you know, will be people that, that you will have never heard of. They're people that turn up on a Tuesday night, you know, to, to, as cadet force adult volunteers, they're people who, you know, work through the pandemic relentlessly to, to, to keep people safe. They're, they're, they're real people. They're not celebrities. They're not famous. They're real people having a real impact in society who are doing it for no other, other reason than they want to make a difference, not for any awards, any accolades, any, uh, you know, media coverage. They're doing it because they want to make a difference. And those unsung heroes and, and champions are, throughout society they are that they're in all our communities and and for me you know that they're the people who inspire me every every day you know just just acts of kindness just people being nice you know that it just doesn't cost anything you know just to to try and try and help or do your best to, to, to give something back how do you now maintain your your level of mental health your your level of motivation what are the things that you do every day are there little hints and tips um and and i've I've got to ask you about your your social media ban that you've been having over the last year you know how has that affected the way that you're you you operate day to day and yeah just keen to find out what are the things that i can take away from this to keep myself motivated that's the, the selfish question here i think um you know for me it's about always go back to your why you know why you're doing what you're doing you know i love adventure so as as i said earlier i I don't make lots of money from from my life or or my career but but i i get to go on adventures all the time which are very kindly sponsored by companies um you know so i try and do my adventures with a purpose so so i i think you know people think being an adventurer is just going on these these great trips to different parts of the world but actually I take it as quite a serious responsibility. I think that you 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 are there to 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 help inspire. You are there to champion important causes. You're there to to spread messages, whether it's about mental health, whether it's about sustainability, um, you know, wh- whether it's about the environment, the climate, whatever it might be. I think I, I always try to 
to align a lot of my projects to the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, you know, whether it's equality for education, whether it's plastic pollution in the ocean. So, so, so I, I think you have a lot of responsibilities as, as a, if you have any sort of public profile, I think that comes with great responsibility and you have to use it wisely, especially, you know, when young people are looking in, um, for me, you know, less screen time, you know, I talk a lot to children about, you know, more, more bikes and hikes and less likes and swipes. It's, uh, it's really important and, and it's difficult for young people because they, they've been born into this digital age where probably their parents been sat on the sofa every night or lying in bed looking at a phone themselves so we need to be more conscious about how we behave with technology around young people um you know not taking the phone in the bedroom is is, is, is an easy starter you know because there's nothing worse i don't think that that the, the, the first thing that you see in the morning is your eyes being burnt with retinas by some facebook glaring light or the last scroll of the evening is on twitter i i i just don't think it's healthy you know these are these are just constant news news feeds a lot of it's negative on, on these platforms and that's the last thing and the first thing that you're putting in your head before you start your day or when you close your eyes and i i just for me i've i've, I've rediscovered a little space in my brain that i forgot about for about two decades that it's a little space of silence before I go to sleep and when I wake up. And and that's something that I've discovered over the last year from from taking a year off social media because I forgot that, that that little bit of peace and silence existed in my head in my life. And and it's amazing just to lie there when you open your eyes for 10 or 15 minutes and think about the day ahead before you start tuning into all the things that are going to be popping up with notifications and inboxes and DMs and all that. And the same when I go to sleep, I always try and think about at least one thing when I close my eyes, when I go to sleep, instead of looking at my phone for the last year, I try to think about one thing that I'm quite proud of that I did that day where I maybe helped someone or supported someone. And also one thing where I wasn't happy that I could have done that better. I wish I'd have done that differently. And just by having that little period of, of self-reflection, it, it helps your mental health immensely. And in, in that, in that quiet environment, um, social media is, is a, is a really, interesting environment because it does a lot of good in the world it helps promote and champion causes it helps fundraisers it helps keep people connected but there's also a very dark side to it which has allowed people to be quite nasty and horrible uh you, you know in, in in online and without having any consideration to do the person um so i think you know as i said i've been to some funerals I've, i i met a really incredible lady just two weeks ago called lucy alexander who had lost her uh, beautiful son felix as a result of social media bullying you know and just being made to feel completely worthless for for, for months on end uh, to the point where he felt that he couldn't live any longer and and had to sadly he, he took his own life which I just think is an what what a tragedy for for him for his family for everybody that that somebody on the other side of a screen could push somebody to uh, you, you know to that limit and and I just think his mother actually said his mother gave me three pieces of of advice and I'd love to share them with you actually they she said that you know before we post anything on any social platform we have to ask ourselves three things one is it true two is it absolutely necessary and three is it kind and if it doesn't tick all three of those boxes, then we should not be typing or saying anything online. You know, if it, if it's not kind, it's not necessary, and, it, and we don't know if it's true, well, then we shouldn't be posting it. And I think if we all adopted that mantra, you know, the, there'd be a lot less hate and negativity uh, in, in, in the social media space. But, you know, it, it, social media is not going anywhere. It's here to stay. It comes with lots of benefits. But I, I think for young people, it's just about 
getting them to understand some of the risks and challenges and to use it in moderation. You know, uh, I think we have to probably as part of the national curriculum or as part of the Department for Education, we have to do more uh, because, you know, if you're, I guess, uh, an influencer, a celebrity, um, you know, whatever you want to call yourself, then for me, if you're posting things that millions of young people are watching and looking at and listening to, there has to be accountability to that. You know, there's, there's got to be somebody monitoring that and making sure that's good for the world, that's good for society. I think, you know, if you walked up to someone and abused them in, in the street, you would be arrested for assault. Why is it any different in a digital space? Uh, and and I, and I just think there needs to be more done uh, to protect young people, in, you know, because it is, it is having adverse effects on, on some people's mental health. Jordan, you, you're a you're a father, twelve year old daughter, is that right? Um, yeah, yeah. What what advice do you give her? Um, not just not just on social media, but just across the full spectrum, really. And how do you make sure that she's got a, a resilient approach to to life and she's prepared for what lies ahead? Yeah, it's uh, I guess it's the the million dollar question that every parent wants to know the the answer to, really. But it's. You've, you've got to have a very honest and open relationship, I think, with your your child. You know, you've got to be prepared to have the discussions that are a bit uncomfortable sometimes, but also be prepared to to listen to conversations that may be uncomfortable for you as well. You know, your I think your child's got to feel that they can speak to you about anything. Um, I think, you know, my my daughter, she's not on a lot of social media platforms and fortunately and touch wood that you know she won't be but she she she's not really become addicted to the iphone as such yet she's still very much she can take it or leave it often it's, it's in a bedroom for days on end um, which I'm, I'm quite proud of but you know i think again being a parent you know you, you have to you have to make sure things like security settings you have to be prepared to have a nosy through the phone because the, the, there there is some there is some strange people there is nasty people out there and and they will target the vulnerable um but it's it's about communication, I think. I think it's it's about clear, honest, open communication. And, you know, every child's got to feel like they can speak to their parent about anything. Of course, it might be a little bit embarrassing sometimes, you know. And me and my daughter, we joke about it. We'll talk about things like periods, about pregnancy. And, you know, and we have a bit of a fun and, and joke about it. But there is obviously a serious undertone to it. And, you know, I, I think the fact that we can talk about something like a period for a young 13-year-old girl or whatever is is a testament to our relationship because most probably a lot of people don't want to talk about that with the kids. It's not, you know, I, I'm probably more embarrassed than she is about talking about it <laughs> most of the time. <laughs> yeah. Let's see what we can embarrass dad with today. Yeah. <laughs> um, look, Jordan, I think I could, I could talk to you for hours about this subject and, you know, I think you've listening to your story, there are some really, really uh, important lessons to be learned. And, and I know I've certainly taken all a, a lot of the advice that you've given and I, I will try and not take the, my iPhone to, to bed with me t tonight. Um, but before we, we wrap things up, just got a bit of a, a rapid fire round for you as we ask all of our guests at the end of the, the Fear Not podcast. So, so first of all, the toughest challenge you have ever taken on? The toughest challenge I've ever taken on, I think the toughest challenge and, and, and the biggest and best adventure is to be a dad. I think to being a parent, I think that there is no greater adventure you can, you know, I've, I've traveled to the far ends of the earth, you know, from the Himalayas to Antarctica, but nothing prepares you or nothing will give you the adventure of being a parent. That's for sure. I would agree with that. Um, what inspires you to carry on? 
I think I think it's gratitude. I think it's to, to, to be grateful for, for for the opportunities you're given. I think people often ask me, you know, when you're when you uh, when you get into that point on a maybe an adventure or a paddle. You know, I remember paddling round Great Britain, and I was off the west coast of Scotland in in sort of mid December. You know, coming up to Cape Wrath, and it was sub zero temperatures. It was cold. It was windy. I was injured. I was hungry, and 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 I really did want to give up and go home and for me it was it was as a military person it was thinking about you know colleagues comrades that never came home from from the tours you know people who i had served alongside i think knowing that you know there's a particular a, a young lad 21 lance corporal alan brackenbury brax he was a great friend of mine we, we lost him on the 29th of may 2005 he was in my troop and i always think brax would do anything for another day or a pint at the bar or just one more breath to have another conversation so what am i whinging about when i'm having this amazing adventure in whatever part of the world it is and the same you know i think about my grandparents who, who, who have passed away sadly and i think about all those people who, who gave so much who are no longer with us of course you know her majesty very poignant as we as we record this over the last week um so many people who've given so much to to, to, to me to our country and you know, so pull up your, your big boy pants and get on with it sort of thing. Uh, next question. You you surprised yourself most when you did what? Oh, that's a good question. I surprised myself. Um, I've been very, very privileged uh, to meet Her Majesty on, on three occasions. And I was I've never been starstruck in my life until I met Her Majesty, the Queen, God bless her. Uh, and yeah, just. What an incredible woman. You know, I, I spent on one of the occasions, the first time I met her in, in Windsor Castle, it was after the Grand Military uh, Gold Cup at Sandown Park. And we were invited back for a private reception. And, and I spent hand on heart, best part of 20 minutes in a one-to-one -one conversation with Her Majesty. And, and she knew so much more than me about Challenger 2 main battle tanks and, <laughs> and, and racehorses. It was just incredible. But it actually makes me, I think like a lot of people recently, I think people have been surprised how emotional it's been with uh, Her Majesty's funeral. Because even now talking about it, I can feel myself getting quite emotional. Um, but, but what a privilege to have met uh, Her Majesty the Queen. And I think that was one of the most surprising elements was how down to earth she was you know it, it was like speaking to my my gran or something who was just so chilled and relaxed and oh what a legend good good uh what's at the top of your bucket list oh the top of my bucket list it's a good one there's a in there's, there's lots of things on my bucket list but i think in terms of, of travel there's a there's a there's a tiny little island off the horn of africa which is owned by yemen called socotra and it, it, it's an incredible little island with the most amazing sort of natural beauty um, and it's a place i've been trying to get to for for many years but unfortunately i haven't got there i've i've got to djibouti i've got to somaliland puntland somalia but never quite this little piece of of, of uh island off off the coast of the Horn of Africa. So Socotra Island is is where I want to get to. <laughs> okay, I'll look it up. Uh, and finally, marathon or a sprint? Well, I think I think a marathon. I think you know I'm I, I'm not a super fast runner. I'm far from the, the fastest or the fittest at anything I do, as you'd expect from a cavalryman. Um, but um, I think for me, what I love about a marathon, and I and I definitely don't love marathons. I just love that over you know three, four, five hours, whatever it is, you can, I, I go to weird places to run marathons. I go to, you know, to conflict zones, to extremes, the polar regions, because I, 
I just want to be immersed in nature for, for as long as possible. So for me, a 10 second, 100 meter sprint is just no good at all. One, I'd be slow and, and two, it's over before I could even, you know, start to enjoy it, I think. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. Jordan, what a great way to finish uh, what has been a really, really interesting uh, episode. So thank you very much for your time uh, today. No, it's, uh, it's been a pleasure, James, and, and, and thank you to you for the great work you're doing and everybody at, at Scotty's and, and Fear Not. It's uh, an, an amazing little charity that does incredibly important work and it's a privilege to be associated with you in a small way, so thank you. Now, if you enjoyed this podcast, then please click to subscribe and share on social media. You can also check out the Fear Not website for articles, challenges, merch and more. And of course, go to scottyslittlesoldiers.co.uk to find out about the great work Scotty's does to support bereaved military children.